to Zephaniah, the book of Zephaniah this evening, chapter 1. <clears throat> Zephaniah chapter 1, and let's just read from verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord, which came under Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. And let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this night. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come around your word once again. Lord, I pray that this evening as we begin to consider the book of Zephaniah, that Lord, you would undertake, you give us understanding of your word and Lord, teach us and instruct us through it. Lord, may you give me wisdom and guide us now as I speak. May it be your words and your thoughts, Lord. And may you take it and apply it to our hearts and lives this evening. May you be honoured. May you be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, we've been going through the Minor Prophets um, Sunday evenings. Well, normally Sunday evenings. We've been going through the Minor Prophets. And um, if you remember, we finished the book of Micah um, towards the end of last year. I think it was in October. We finished the book of Micah. Pastor's taken us through Nahum and he started Habakkuk. And so we're up to the book of Zephaniah this evening. Before we dive into the prophecy itself, uh, we want to begin by considering the background to the book. You know, when considering each of these books of prophecy, it's always helpful to understand, you know, the time in which it was written and to who it was written. And why was it written? And so gaining a background of the book helps us to understand the book in greater detail. Um, and so this evening we're just going to start with an introduction or background to the book of Zephaniah. And so we want to consider this evening the prophet, the period of ministry and the purpose of his ministry. The prophet, the period of ministry and the purpose of his ministry. So notice firstly, if you would, the prophet. Verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Now, like many of the books of prophecy, Zephaniah begins by stating that what follows is the word of the Lord. He starts verse 1 there by saying the word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah. He begins by saying that this is God's word which God spoke unto me concerning the people, concerning the nation, concerning whatever it is that God has spoken. You know, of the minor prophets that we've already looked at, four of them start in the exact same way. You know, we see the same phrase in the book of Hosea, in the book of Joel, in the book of Jonah and Micah. All of them begin with this phrase, the word of the Lord which came unto. You see, it was an important statement as it immediately established that what was to follow was God's word, not man's word. What was to follow was from the Lord. It was the very words of God. And so Zephaniah here begins with this same statement. And basically he establishes the divine authority of this passage, of this book. And having established that what follows is from the Lord, we're immediately now introduced to the prophet. You know, this verse is really the only information we have concerning Zephaniah. He doesn't really tell us anything else throughout the book. 
about himself. We don't see him mentioned anywhere else in the word of God. There's, and there's three other occasions where you'll find the name Zephaniah, but it's not referring to this Zephaniah. And so this really is the only verse that we have given us any information about this man, this prophet of the Lord. We're informed here in verse 1 that he is the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. Now, usually when a prophet was introducing themselves, it was customary to state who your father was, okay, to state their father and their own name. If you go to Jeremiah with me, let's just look at a couple of examples. examples. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. So Jeremiah states that he's the son of Hilkiah. If you go to Hosea, Hosea does the same thing. Hosea chapter 1. Hosea 1 and verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Biri. Okay, again, he lists his father. There's just two examples of this, how the prophets would do this. This was the custom. Okay? They would list their name and their father's name to identify who they are. You know, Zephaniah here, he gives us four generations. He doesn't just tell us who his father is. Zephaniah tells us who his father is, his grandfather, his great-grandfather, and his great-great-grandfather. And this is extremely unusual. Okay, you don't find this anywhere else. This is an unusual thing. And so this has led many commentators to believe that his great-grandfather, Hezekiah, is actually King Hezekiah. Okay? They believe that Hezekiah here, where it says the son of Hezekiah, the last one mentioned, they believe he is actually King Hezekiah of Judah, who reigned from 715 BC through to 686 BC. You see, this would explain why he mentions more than just his father. Okay? This would explain why he's going back through his lineage and he stops at Hezekiah because it actually is King Hezekiah. He's explaining that he's of the royal lineage, that he's royalty. Okay? He's a descendant of royalty and it also means that he is a near kinsman of King Josiah who's on the throne. Okay? He's related to the king that he is prophesying uh, who's on the throne sorry, at this time that he is prophesying. Now, there are some commentators who have argued against this conclusion. There's some who uh, don't agree. And they say, you know, if, if this was the case, surely Zephaniah would have written in his, in his verse, he would have written the son of King Hezekiah. You know, surely he would have listed the title. But, you know, the reality is that often in the genealogies of God's word, names are mentioned without the title attached. Okay, there are plenty of times where a name is mentioned and they're a king or they're a prophet or they're a priest and the title is not mentioned in the genealogy. And so it's perfectly reasonable to assume that this is indeed Hezekiah, just with a slightly different spelling. You know, also, if this, is not, if this is not King Hezekiah, then we have no sufficient explanation as to why Zephaniah does this. There's no reason for him to track it back to Hezekiah, unless it is indeed King Hezekiah. And so as I said, it's reasonable to assume that that's what, who he is. He is 
a descendant of King Hezekiah. He is indeed therefore of the royal lineage and he's related to King Josiah who's on the throne. I mean, other than his heritage, the only other thing that we know about this man is his name. Okay, we know his name, Zephaniah. And his name means the Lord hides or protects. The Lord hides or protects. And it's almost certain that Zephaniah was born during the reign of King Manasseh. Okay, if you remember, Manasseh was one of the worst kings of the southern kingdom. Okay, he's a terrible king. And so he was born during the reign of Manasseh. And so perhaps therefore the reason he's given this name, the Lord hides or protects, is because he had to be hidden when he was young from Manasseh and from others. You know, his name also describes the protection that the Lord gives to his godly remnant in the day of the Lord. If you go to chapter 2 and verse 3 of Zephaniah, chapter 2 verse 3, it says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Now here in chapter 2, he speaks about how the Lord will hide the remnant in the day of the Lord, in the day of his wrath. The Lord will hide them, the Lord will protect them. And so his name alludes to that as well. His name alludes to that wonderful truth that the Lord hides and protects his own. So we've seen the prophet, we've seen that he is of royal lineage, he's related to the king, and that his name means Lord hides and protects. Secondly, now this evening, we see the period of his ministry, the period of his ministry. In verse 1 again there, it says, The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hizkiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. The second thing we want to consider this evening is the period of time in which Zephaniah ministered. Now, what was going on at this particular time? As he is prophesying, what's happening within the nation? What, what is the time frame here? And thankfully, we're told at the end of verse 1 here that he ministers in the days of Josiah. And that immediately makes it really easy for us to set a date okay, as to when he ministered. See, Josiah was king over Judah for 31 years. He reigned from 640 BC through to 609 BC. And so therefore, immediately we know his ministry is sometime in that period between those two dates. And it also means that his ministry is to the southern kingdom. Okay, he's ministering the reign of Josiah and he's ministering to the southern kingdom. And it also tells us that he is a contemporary of Jeremiah. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 1 with me again. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 1 and just read from verse 2. <clears throat> it says, To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirtieth, uh, sorry, 13th year of his reign. And it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. And so Jeremiah, it says in verse 2 there, 
is also ministering during the reign of Josiah, the same king. And so Jeremiah and Zephaniah are on the scene at the same time. Okay? Jeremiah's ministry lasts a bit longer because Jeremiah ministers in the reign of Jehoiakim and Zedekiah as well, okay, right up to the Babylonian ca- captivity. But Zephaniah and Jeremiah are both on the scene during Josiah's reign over Judah. <clears throat> and Josiah, as I said, he came to the throne in 640 BC and he was only eight years old when he began to reign. You know, when he came to the throne, Israel was in a, a state of turmoil. Okay? Uh, the nation of, or the southern kingdom, I should say, of Judah was in a terrible spiritual condition. You know, they basically forgotten the Lord. It was, you know, their spiritual condition was at an all-time low, if you like. You know, the king Manasseh and then his son, King Ammon, had led the people in all kinds of wickedness. They basically led the people completely away from the Lord into the worship of Baal, Ashtaroth, Molech, and others. You know, they totally forsaken God. You know, the temple at this time is basically in disrepair. There's no worship going on of the Lord. It's a real terrible state that the nation is in. And, you know, this is the state of the nation as Zephaniah is ministering. This is the state of the nation. The nation is in turmoil. The nation has forsaken the Lord. They've forgotten God. You know, it really wasn't a time to want to be a prophet. You know, perhaps towards the end of Josiah's reign, it might have been, once Josiah had instituted his reforms. But at the start of his reign, it was not a time that you would desire to be a prophet of the Lord. It was a dangerous time to minister. You know, Jeremiah, who, he, who was his contemporary, you know, Jeremiah suffered greatly for the Lord, didn't he? Okay? Suffered greatly in his service for the Lord. And so it wasn't an easy time to be ministering to the people. You know, it's not until Josiah has been on the throne for eight years that we read that his heart is turned to the Lord. And he begins his re- reformation or his reforms in the 12th year of his reign. Just go with me to Second Chronicles chapter 34. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 34, and just read from verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that, did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year... He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And so here in Second Chronicles chapter 34, we have this recorded for us. Okay, he comes to the throne at the age of eight. He turns to the Lord when he's about 16. And then in the 12th year of his reign, when he's about 18, <clears throat> he begins to institute these reforms, these moral and religious reforms. You know, there's no doubt that Zephaniah probably had an influence in this, okay? And when we read through the book of Zephaniah and we see what he was prophesying about, there's probably no doubt that Zephaniah is having a great influence here in the life of Josiah and the reforms that are taking place in the nation of Israel. 
And he's probably one of the few prophets that actually sees a response to his ministry. You know, so many of the, the prophets you read, they ministered and they got no response. But Zephaniah actually does see in his lifetime a revival. He does see the, the people turn to the Lord. You know, ultimately, uh, the word of the Lord is discovered in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, and this is when his great reformation of the nation as a whole begins. Just go to Second Chronicles 34 again, and read with me verse 8. It says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent uh, Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And if you drop down to verse 15, it says, And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And so here we have in the 18th year of his reign, they're rebuilding the temple, they're repairing the temple, and the law of God, the book of the law, is discovered. And this is when this great reformation really takes flight. Okay, In the 12th year it started, but in the 18th year of his reign is when things really change for the nation as a whole. And so that makes it the year 622 BC. Okay, He took the throne in 640, so it's 622 BC when this great reformation, this great revival takes place for the nation. And if we go to 2 Kings chapter 23, we read what takes place. Just go over there, 2 Kings chapter 23. And let's read from verse 4. <clears throat> it says, And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the door to bring forth out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels that were made for Baal and for the grove and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them without Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them under Bethel. And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem. Them also that burned incense under Baal to the sun and to the moon and to the planets and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem under the brook Kidron and burned it as the brook as I burned it at the brook Kidron and stamped it small to powder and cast the powder thereof upon the graves of the children of the people. And he brake down the houses of the Sodomites that were by the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the grove. And he brought out sorry, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah, and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beersheba, and brake down the high places of the gates that were in the entry and in of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on the, a man's left hand at the gate of the city. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places came not up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they did eat of unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, uh, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass to the fire of Molech. And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had given unto the sun, at the entering into the house of the Lord, by the chamber of Nathan Melech, uh, the chamberlain, who was in the suburbs and burned the chariots of the sun with fire. You know, we could keep going on. But the point of the matter is, we read there this great reformation that takes place. We read what Josiah does. When he finds out the, the law of God and he finds out what God's word says, he acts upon it. 
We see him here abolishing the worship of Baal, the worship of Molech, you know, and the worship of the host of the heaven. It talks about worship of sun and moon and stars. And you see, this is exactly what Zephaniah condemns at the start of his prophecy. If you go back to Zephaniah chapter 1, just read with me from verse 2. It says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the name of uh, the cherubims with the priests. Then, and then that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and then that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. And them that have turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired for him. So Zephaniah, as he is prophesying, he's prophesying against these very things. He's prophesying against Baal, against the worship of Malak. Okay, that's in verse 5 where it says Malcolm, that's the same God, the God Malak. He prophesies against those who are worshipping the hosts of heaven upon their housetops. Zephaniah prophesies against these very things, these great wickednesses that were happening in Israel. And then Josiah, in 622, gets rid of these things. The point is, this limits Zephaniah's ministry to before 622 BC, doesn't it? Okay? This places it in the early part of Josiah's reign, before any of this takes place, before the Reformation, before the, the great revival takes place. Zephaniah is on the scene ministering. Otherwise, there's no point for him to be ministering against Baal and against Moloch if it's already gotten rid of. It doesn't make sense, does it? And so it makes us understand that his ministry is somewhere between 640 and 622 BC in the early part of Josiah's reign. And that's why I said earlier that he probably had an influence upon Josiah. He probably had a part in this great revival that takes place. There is one other verse that helps us to date Zephaniah's ministry, and that's in chapter 2 and verse 13. In chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. In chapter 2, verse 13, Zephaniah talks about the destruction of Nineveh. And he speaks about it being an event yet future, that it hasn't happened yet. Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC. And so once again, his ministry has to be before 612, has to be before 622, doesn't it? It's in the early part of Josiah's reign. So we know he ministered, as I said, between 640 and 622 BC. And it was in a period when the nation was at an all-time low. Okay, you could read that he ministered in the days of Josiah and think he had them easy, you know, because Josiah led great reforms, great reformation. But he ministered before all that took place. He ministered while the nation was in sin and in great wickedness. And thirdly now and lastly, we see the purpose of his ministry, the purpose of his ministry. Just look at me in verse 7. <clears throat> In verse 7 it says, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, 
for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. Now we've seen the prophet himself, we've seen that he's a royal lineage. We've seen that he's related to Josiah. We've seen also the period in time in which he ministered during this time of all-time low in Israel. And now lastly, we see the purpose of his ministry. You see, what is it that Zephaniah was commissioned to declare unto the people? What was the, the whole point of his prophecy? Well, the thing of Zephaniah's prophecy is clearly stated in verse 7. It says in verse 7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The whole um, centre of his prophecy is this idea, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. Now, if you read verse 8 with me, it says, And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord. Go down to verse 14. It says, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Uh, verse uh, 15, it says, That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wastedness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against fenced cities and against the high towers. And then drop down to verse 18 as well. It says, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured with the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. And then if you go to chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Before the decree bring forth, before the day pass as the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Verse 3, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek meekness, seek Sorry, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Time and time and time again, he says, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. He keeps mentioning this idea. Because this is the whole theme, this is the whole um, point of his message, of his prophecy. The day of the Lord is coming. You know, the day of the Lord, of course, speaks about a day of divine judgment upon the wicked upon the earth it's not necessarily just one particular day it's more a time a period of time in which the lord will judge the nations and usher in his kingdom you know we see most of the prophets speak about the day of the lord you know we've already seen that in the other minor prophets that we've gone through but here in zephaniah and also in the book of joel it is given particular attention this idea of the day of the Lord. And in his prophecy, Zephaniah is going to announce the coming of universal judgment upon the world. In chapter 1, his focus is all upon the fact that judgment is coming for Judah. The day of the Lord is coming for them. In chapter 2, his focus is upon the nations the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Ethiopians, the Assyrians. The day of the Lord is coming for them, for the nations of the earth. And then finally in chapter 3, Zephaniah's focus is upon the coming of the kingdom of the Lord at the end of the day of the Lord, his kingdom upon this earth. As I mentioned earlier, you know, many of the prophets speak about the day of the Lord and this coming judgment, this judgment upon the wicked and the disobedient. But Zephaniah, he concentrates on this theme, 
He makes it clear that the day of the Lord is to be a day when the Lord will make final intervention in history. When the Lord will destroy the wicked and he will establish his kingdom here on earth. Now there was a common misconception among the Jews. <clears throat> you know, a misconception that somehow because they were God's chosen people, they were immune from the day of the Lord. You know, that it didn't apply to them, that it wasn't a bad day for them. That somehow their idolatry, their disobedience didn't matter. That they were God's chosen people and therefore free from judgments. You know, Amos, in his book, declared that the day of the Lord was a day of judgment for them as much as it was for the heathen. Just go to Amos chapter 5 with me. Just quickly, Amos. <clears throat> Amos chapter 5 and <clears throat> verse 18, it says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Now, Amos speaks about these ones who desired the day of the Lord. They thought it was a good thing for Israel. But it wasn't. It was for Israel just as much as it was for the heathen, a day of judgments. And Zephaniah takes up that same theme as he centers upon the day of the Lord, and he centers it upon Judah, upon the southern kingdom. Verse 4, it says, I will stretch out my hand upon Judah and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, as you read through, chapter 1 is where you find the majority of the reference to the day of the Lord. Chapter 2 is about it as well, but most of it's referring to Judah, and it's mentioned in chapter 1. See, Zephaniah is making it clear that Judah is not going to escape God's judgments. It's going to begin with the Lord's people. You know, 1 Peter 4 and verse 17 declares that judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And that's exactly Zephaniah's point here in his book. That's why he begins with God's people. Because judgment would begin with them before God would deal with the nations. You see, they, like the rest of the nations, would suffer the wrath of Almighty God because of their sin. You know, Zephaniah, he describes graphically for us the day of the Lord. Just read with me verse 15, down to 18. It says, That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, that they, may, that they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. You know, Zephaniah's description of the day of the Lord is quite graphic. Describing what God is going to do. You see, God was going to, as the righteous judge, sweep Israel, the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, off the land. Now, obviously, the immediate fulfillment of these words was the Babylonian captivity. Now, that's the immediate fulfillment, the captivity under the Babylonians. You know, ultimately here, there is a picture of God's judgment upon the whole earth in the last days. There's a picture of what's coming. For all the nations. You see, God as the righteous judge will sweep away both man and beast in a great worldwide 
judgments. Just read again verse 2 with me. It says, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked, and I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. There's a day coming when the Lord will sweep away both man and beast in a great worldwide judgments. The day of the Lord is at hand. You know, Zephaniah, he had the thankless task of declaring this truth. This is the message God gives him. Go and tell the people the day of the Lord is coming. It's a day of judgments. You know, it's not really a message that the people wanted to hear, was it? It's not something they wanted to be told, that their sin was going to lead to judgments. You know, it was a message that they needed to hear so that they might repent before it was too late. You know, in chapter 2 and verse 3, this is exactly what Zephaniah's hope was. It says in verse 3, we read it earlier, but it says, Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. See, Zephaniah's desire, his hope was that the nation would repent and the Lord would hide them in the day of his wrath, that the Lord would show them mercy, protect them. And indeed, the Lord would spare his remnant. God will spare his remnant in the tribulation. Now, as I was thinking about this introduction, <clears throat> you know, the message that Zephaniah is given to declare from God is the same message we've been given, isn't it? The day of the Lord is at hand. You know, the day is fast approaching where the Lord will pour out his wrath upon this earth. The Lord will deal with the wicked. And, you know, we have been tasked with warning mankind that that day is coming. We've been tasked with telling them that... Judgment is coming unless they repent and turn to the law before it's too late. You know, like the Jews, many in the world today are under the impression that their sin will go unpunished. They're under the impression that they can live as they please and God won't judge them, that they're not accountable to God. But the day of God's wrath is fast approaching and none shall escape without Christ. Without Christ, all shall face his judgment. Yeah, so therefore, we must be faithful in declaring the message. We must be faithful in declaring the gospel message and declaring the truth that the day of the Lord is at hand. The tribulation is coming. God will judge the earth. He will judge the nations. And he will establish his kingdom here on earth. Now, God warns about this judgment. And so therefore, it's foolish for anyone not to be prepared, isn't it? God is so clear that judgment's coming. And you know, as believers, we need to not shy away from this truth, but rather declare this truth before it's too late. You know, mankind is heading towards this day of judgment. We need to tell them, we need to warn them before it's too late. You know, people used to take the coming judgment of God seriously. Christians used to take it seriously. They used to preach and sing about that day. Now, sadly, today it's often ignored and it's neglected because we don't want to cause offence. You know, Weasby in his commentary, he wrote of a famous medieval Latin hymn that was based on Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15. The hymn went like this, Day of wrath, O day of mourning, 
See fulfilled the prophet's warning. Heaven and earth in ashes burning. O what fear man's bosom rendeth, when from heaven the judge descendeth, on whose sentence all dependeth. Now, if that song was sung today, there'd be many who were offended by it. Now, you imagine singing that song, there'd be people offended because it's such a hard-hitting song about the judgment of the Lord. But it's full of hard-hitting truth, isn't it? It is a day of wrath. It is a day of mourning. The prophet's warning will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will burn. There's a day coming when the judge will descend and all men will face the sentence before him. Beloved, we have been tasked with warning them of that day. God's day of wrath is approaching, and like Zephaniah, we must warn the world. We must warn this valley, this town, before it is eternally too late. Warn them and give them hope through Christ Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the book of Zephaniah. Lord, we thank you for his ministry his faithfulness in declaring the truth unto your people, Lord, warning them of the day of the Lord. Lord, that day is coming when all mankind will face the great judgment for you. And Lord, I pray you would help us to be faithful in telling others about you, warning others that the day is fast approaching when they'll be held accountable for their sin. Lord, may you help us to remember these things. May we stand firm upon your truth and boldly proclaim the truth throughout this week. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.